0: Good to see everybody. Can I uh, have you turn uh, in your Bibles to the Gospel of John chapter 21? John 21. So we have come to the final chapter of John's Gospel, a chapter that John uses to focus on the restoration of Peter. But as we have said numerous times, Jesus is restoring Peter by teaching him lessons in true love, in the, in the love of God is the idea. And uh, these lessons should be first and foremost applied to our relationship with Jesus himself, that's true, but uh, also to all of our other relationships in our lives as Christians, including and especially into our marriage. So our uh, outline of this final section in John's Gospel, simply so far we've looked at True love is not words, it's a commitment, verses 1 to 14. Number two, true love is not feelings, it's service, verses 15 to 17. And this morning we want to look at true love is not selfish, it's sacrificial. Look at verse 18. Where Jesus said to Peter, most assuredly I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And so again, guys, Jesus is restoring Peter. But in the process, he's teaching Peter and the rest of us about true love, what it's all about. And um, here in these verses, he is telling Peter that true love, Peter, is not selfish. That's when you denied me because you were afraid. You were more concerned about you than me. True love is not selfish. It's sacrificial. And just how does the Lord Jesus Christ communicate this truth to Peter? Well, by telling him that there was a cross in his future. A cross in his future, of course. Jesus always taught by example. He never left divine truth in the realm of the theoretical. He always lived it out in the practical. This was a teaching that Jesus really emphasized in his final discourse to his disciples the night before his crucifixion, a truth that he had lived out over the course of his life and was going to ultimately live out in just a few hours when he hung on Calvary's cross. Turn back to John 15. Remember now, this is the night before Jesus went to the cross. The evening started out in John, uh, in John 13, up in the upper room where they were observing the Passover meal together. At that time, Jesus began to teach them one final message, one final discourse uh, that he wanted to stress to them, the most important things he taught them over the course of his three-and-a-half-year ministry. And so at the end of chapter 14, they leave the upper room and now start making their way through the streets of Jerusalem towards the Mount of Olives where Jesus will spend the next few hours in prayer before being arrested and then crucified. So just so you understand the context, but it's all the same discourse. It's all the same sermon. His farewell address. And look at verse 9. He said, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments... You will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Verse 17, These things I command you that you love one another. And so as we study Jesus' farewell address to his closest men, the subject that most dominated our Savior's thinking that night, the night before the cross, was that his disciples would love each other with God's divine agape love, which means sacrificially. Now, let me just start by saying this. If God's agape love is going to flow from our lives to those around us on a regular basis, it first has to start with a change of mind. A change of mind. In other words, you have to really want to walk in God's agape love. He's not going to force it on you. He wants you to walk in it. Jesus died that you might have it, but you don't have to walk in it. Uh, We're going to talk about that more in just a moment. But the idea is that there's a lot of Christians who they're saved and that's really all they want Uh, I've heard them do you want to get involved in serving the Lord no no I'm just glad I'm saved that's really all I want (laughs) well you know what I'm glad you're saved too but that wasn't the end desire we're not saved to sit we're saved to serve but hey God will do for you the best he can on whatever level you choose to live at we talked about that a couple weeks ago But let me say this, God wants you to exhibit his agape love. He won't force it on you, but he wants you to to walk in it. But here's the rub. Since our natural human love dominates our hearts and minds, we need God's grace to have a change of mind. We are selfish by nature. And once we get saved, that doesn't just go away all at once. Sometimes it does, but sometimes we have to grow in our relationship with God to the point where we begin to manifest his character more and more to this fallen lost world and it starts with our mind as we have said before you know spiritual warfare takes place first and foremost in the mind yes. and that's why Paul said in uh, in Romans 1 he said uh, look the time has come for you to stop being brainwashed by the devil's thinking and start programming yourself with the with the mind of God, with the wisdom of God, the Word of God. Right? Uh, we need to fill our our minds with God's Word because we think like God. Then we've been thinking like the world all the years we were alive before we got saved, and uh, God wants us to now think like He thinks. Because as a man thinks in his heart, what? So is he? Starts with the mind, and this with Satan knows that he targets our mind with all kinds of negative things and carnality and selfishness and so on but god wants us to fill our minds with his word and when we do that it starts to change the way we think about everything everything we must start looking and 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 this is where uh, god's agape love begins to take take over in our lives again our minds have been dominated with human love all the years of our lives. Now God wants our thoughts to be dominated with his agape love. And um, so the first thing we need to do, you pray about it, of course. That's the first thing. But then you begin to ask God for opportunities for you to deny yourself. <gasps> Wait a minute. You were, I was following you for a while here. Deny myself, of course. That's what it means to be a Christian. You deny yourself, follow Jesus. But if you want to be more and more like Jesus, you've got to ask God for opportunities whereby you can give to others what they need instead of always focusing on yourself and what you want and need. And it starts with our families, really, right? Um, but Paul said in Philippians 2, verse 3, that we are to esteem others more important than ourselves. Now, that's not a human trait. That, that is a divine trait. And it only really starts to be manifested consistently in our lives when we are born again and walking in the Spirit. Otherwise, we're going to put ourselves first. That's, that's our MO. That's what we did all of our lives before we got saved. We were number one. Let me just say this. Our natural human love. Now, hear me out. Don't click your brains off. Because sometimes I want to introduce something kind of shocking, and then, but nobody hears the rest. Okay, I'm just trying to get your attention. Our natural human love is often counterproductive to the life that God wants us to live. In fact, I'll go as far as to say that our human love is often toxic. Toxic. By that I mean human love is rooted in self, and self is rooted in our fallen nature. And if we allow self-love to dominate us, that's the key, if we allow it, If we allow self-love to dominate our lives, it will slowly destroy us and every relationship in our lives, including and especially our marriages. The reason is because our natural love, again, our natural human love is inherently selfish and self-centered. Not always, not always, but a lot of the time. It usually loves those who love us or loves those who can benefit us in some way. And so even though human love can seem virtuous ex- externally, outwardly, there are often hidden agendas behind it and selfish agendas attached to it, which means at its core it's often toxic and destructive. We don't even realize it. Yeah. I personally have known people, and one couple comes to mind, young couple got married years ago, but they got married and... Both Christians. And she absolutely adored him. It was beautiful to see. She just adored her husband. But he was selfish. And he constantly did things that benefited himself. He constantly put himself above her and his children. He just was selfish. He pursued selfish agendas. Whatever he wanted, he did even to the point of committing adultery. Because after all, I'm thinking, I don't know his mind, I'm thinking he thought, nobody's going to deprive me of the pleasure I deserve. Not even my wife. And over time, his selfishness beat the love out of their marriage. Their marriage went from a marriage filled with beautiful love to a marriage filled with hate I mean he just literally and I watched it over the course of several years he just beat the love out of this woman and she adored him it was tragic to see finally she couldn't take it and she divorced him again over time self love, selfishness will slowly destroy a relationship And turn, something that once was beautiful into something ugly. And then we see people who are so consumed by self-love, they don't want to get married at all or have kids. Because marriage and parenthood would not allow them to love themselves as much as they truly desire and deserve. I don't follow this young woman, this young comedian, uh, Chelsea Handler. Uh, Maybe you've heard of her. Um, Chelsea Handler, she's a comedian, uh, very ungodly woman, okay, very self-focused, and uh, the only reason I knew about this little video series she did was because on another broadcast I saw it, okay, apparently she makes these uh, videos on um, uh, what are some of the TikTok or some of these social media platforms, uh, they're, they're intended to empower women, empower women, so in this last one, this latest one she did, she was talking, she was actually was designed to put down parenthood and children. And you saw her get up in the morning and, hey, I can get up whenever I want and I don't have to worry about any kids. I can do my thing, go back to sleep if I want, you know, I can go where I want, do what I want, uh, and I'm free. I really, and this is empowering. Girls, what are you getting tied down with kids for? Now, she thought you know, these folks, they live in a bubble. It becomes an echo chamber. They only hang with people that agree exactly the way they think and, 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 and all. And so because she lives in a little bubble echo chamber, her close friends, she thought, and they love what she was talking about because they all feel the same, she believed that everybody else was going to love it too. How could you not love a message like this? Isn't, didn't we sing that some years ago? Self-love is the truest love of all or something like that. It's the world, right? So she sticks it out there and launches this thing into cyberspace. And she was shocked by the response she got. So many people said to her, Miss Handler, you're living a very sad, shallow, empty life. And you couldn't believe she was shocked. She was shocked that others couldn't see the benefit of being childless. Are there benefits from being childless? Sure, she enumerated some. Are there benefits from having both your hands severed in a farming accident? Sure, you don't have to cut your fingernails anymore. (laughs) That doesn't mean it's ideal, right? Just because something has some benefits doesn't mean it's the greatest thing in the world that God is, this is the greatest ex- existence you can possibly attain to. Pray for her. My I, my heart actually goes out to her. I, I think it's like the Bible says, even in laughter the heart may ache. Laugh, clown, laugh. How many comedians have committed suicide? And I'm not lifting that up is something that I'm I'm happy about. It's sad. You can only cover that emptiness so long. Anyway. So that's self-love. That's the world's love. God's love, on the other hand, is the exact opposite. When practiced through his strength and grace, and that's the key, our lives inwardly become healthy, strong, and fruitful. Let me stop there. Those people that practice self-love are not happy inside. They're not healthy inside. Because self-love is not only toxic to the people around you, it first and foremost is toxic to you. And it starts on the inside. Some of the most miserable people in the world are those that practice the most amount of self-love. Think of some of these wealthy people that have the money to buy anything they want, do anything they want, go anywhere they want, and they're the most unhappy people in the world. It's because self-love does not bring about what makes life worth living, the joy, the peace, the fulfillment. Whenever a person tries to pursue those things as a direct pursuit, it always ends in tragedy, often suicide, because those things are not something you can achieve through direct pursuit, there's something that comes as a byproduct. What is the byproduct? It's living a life filled with God's love and showing that love to others. In the upper room the night before Jesus was crucified, starting at chapter 13 and then reinforced in chapter 15 on their way to the Mount of Olives, Jesus drove this principle home. You remember how that, when they entered the upper room to eat the Passover meal, nobody would wash anyone's feet. That was the job of the lowliest servant. It was usually given to the lowliest and the youngest servant. Nobody wanted to wash feet, and that culture was the most demoralizing, degrading thing you could do. Why? Because the Jewish people considered the feet the de- most defiled and filthiest part of the body. Why was that? Because that was the part of the body that came in contact with the world. So these guys have been doing a running argument for the last three and a half years. Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? Nobody's going to wash feet who thinks they're that great. Jesus watched this for a while. He just quietly gets up, girds his waist with a towel, goes over to the table, takes the water that was in the pitcher, pours it into a basin, stoops down, and begins to wash his disciples' dirty feet. You can read about it. You know it. And then he said in John 13, I believe, verse 17, You see what I've done? Do you see what I've done? I've given you an example to follow. And if you do what I've done, serve one another, happy will you be. And then in John 15 verse 11, if you love each other sacrificially as I have loved you, your joy will be what? Full. We only know joy and peace and happiness and fulfillment when we are busying ourselves being like Jesus and giving our lives away to others. Not only will you become healthy and strong inwardly, beautiful, your outward relationships will begin to be healthy and strong and beautiful as well, starting with your marriages. The reason being is because we are now focusing on others by putting them first and our desires last. Again, Jesus taught this all throughout his ministry, but he lived it. He didn't just teach classroom. He lived it, driving this home, these truths home practically. Turn to Philippians 2. Of course, you all know this passage. I'm going to read it because it really gets into what we're talking about. How Jesus illustrated this principle of putting others first, loving them with God's love. Philippians 2, starting with verse 3. Paul tells us, Let nothing be done through selfish ambitions or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in, be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. As I just said, our human mindset is selfish. It wants to focus on everything for us. Uh, me, I'm the center of my universe. That's my mindset. I was born with that because I'm a product of the fall. I'm a, I was a descendant of, Abra- of Adam. But once we get saved, we have to have a new mind, the mind of Christ. And that's what Paul's talking about. Verse 6, Who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond slave, and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Guys, as we die to self, putting uh, others' needs uh, above ourselves, making them the focus and seeking to serve them with all of our heart, again, the byproduct will be John 15, 11. our joy is going to be full. The happiest folks you will ever run into are the ones who are the biggest servants. I'm not talking about paid servants. I'm talking about those who just want to serve others. Now, earlier in the evening, while they were still in the upper room, the night before his crucifixion, as he was emphasizing the importance of his disciples loving one another, after he returned back to his Father in heaven, the Lord Jesus officially gives to them, and of course to all of us, a new commandment. A new commandment for the new covenant. And that was in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 5. If you're in the neighborhood still, you can turn to that. Otherwise, I'm just going to read it to you. But he said in John 13, verse 34, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. The word he uses is agape. It's a word that's used of God's love. That you also also love one another. A, A new commandment I have given to you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love. God's love for one another. Now, this was the commandment that Jesus was referring back to when we come to chapter 15, verses 12 and 13. Let's read those two verses. It's all the same discourse. It's all the same final farewell address, okay? Starts in chapter 13 in the upper room. Then as they leave the upper room, start making their way towards the Mount of Olives, he continues talking. He's reinforcing the most important things he's taught them over the course of the last three and a half years. And he reinforces this again in John 15, 12, and 13. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. You know, I wanted to see what the dictionary, I know what Jesus said about love. I know what the Bible teaches about love. I wanted to see what the world thinks about love. So I opened up the dictionary. I forgot which one it was, Miriam's, I think. Um, I wanted to see what the greatest minds of our time, how they define love. Now, of course, they're defining it from a human perspective. They're talking, well, we, they would just say, we're talking about love. No, no, you're talking about human love. Here's what they say, though. It defines human love like this. A profoundly tender, passionate affection for another person. A feeling of warm personal attachment or deep affection. As for a parent, as for a parent-child or friend, or sexual passion or desire. Okay, um, that that's not a bad. I mean, that, in, that definitely sums up human love. But notice how the dictionary defines human love in terms in terms of feelings. In terms of feelings, right? But God's love isn't words, and feelings not primarily. Agape love is action. Is in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he did what? Felt sorry for us? Felt badly for us? That he gave. He did something. He gave his only begotten son. Guys, God's love is unconditional. It's universal and it's non-discriminating. As the scriptures say, God loves the whole world and he is no respecter of persons. He loves everybody. That doesn't mean everyone's going to heaven automatically. It just means that God has provided a way by which a person can be saved. You realize, of course, that God's love uh, can't save you. God's love has never saved anybody. All God's love can do, and it's a lot, is provide a way by which you might be saved, which he did by sending his son and Jesus dying on the cross. That allowed God to offer salvation to the entire world. Will the entire world accept it and be saved? Of course not. But they could be. I just want you to know that God's love is available. It's open to everybody. Everybody. Look, human love is limited and can diminish over time, which we are seeing to a great degree in our culture today, especially in marriage. The love of many husbands for their wives and wives for their husbands has grown, has grown cold toward each other, cold toward the person they vowed to love for better or worse in sickness and in health for the rest of their lives. I think it's pretty obvious that many couples today when they get married don't really mean until death do we part, they mean until divorce do we part. And I realize sometimes divorce is necessary. I'm not, if you're divorced, I'm not coming down on you. It's just gotten way too easy, way too socially accepted. Hallmark's even got happy divorce cards. <laughs> it's, it's, it's tragic that we're celebrating something like divorce. I'm not putting down divorced people. God said in Malachi 2.15, I hate divorce. He's not saying I hate divorced people. I hate people, I hate divorce because it, it destroys people I love. And so on. But Human love is not forever because it's selfish, oftentimes. again, Again, such is the nature of human love rooted in the fallen, selfish heart of man. It often has an expiration date attached to it. But God's love, agape, never diminishes and it never expires because God is the source of this love. And God never diminishes, God never changes, and God will definitely never expire. Even as the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus said that human love, the love of the world, in John 15, 19, loves its own. The world's love, human love loves its own loves its own family its own friends and those in its own sphere of influence, influence who can benefit them in some way but God loves God's love loves all even his enemies turn to Matthew 5 you know it let me read it to you out of the NLT second edition part of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, starting with verse 44. Jesus said, But I say, love your enemies. Verse 45, In that way you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven, for he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good and sends his rain on the fields of the just and the unjust alike. You know, when people hear Jesus say we are to love our enemies, they immediately immediately respond, how can I love? How can I have feelings for my enemies? It's Ridiculous. Well, how can you have feelings for your enemies? Well, initially, you probably won't. But again, God's love isn't about feelings. In 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 to 8, The Apostle Paul gives us the best definition slash description of God's love you'll find anywhere in the Bible or in the New Testament in particular. And if you notice, he uses all verbs. Because God's love is not feelings. I'm not saying feelings are not included in it. But God's love is actions. Actions. And that's how we can love people we have never met, and have no feelings for, uh, by helping them in tangible ways by meeting their needs. I don't know. Maybe you uh, run into somebody. I we were on vacation one year. I'm gonna probably lose my blessing, but I'll share it with you anyways. Now, and we were on vacation. Took the kids to McDonald's, and we were out in the park. This nice summer day out in the parking lot, and this lady is out by her van crying. And I walked up and said, "What's wrong, ma'am?" Well, my kids and I, we're, we've fallen in hard times, and, and, and they're hungry, but I don't have any money to feed them. I said, well, come on. Took them inside, bought them all at McDonald's. Did I have any feelings for this woman? I didn't dislike her. I didn't love her, really, because I didn't know her. But I loved her with God's love. I showed her God's love by at least buying the, I couldn't do everything, but I could do a little something. You you know you you can't help all the people in the world, but you can certainly certainly help those that God brings across your path. Yes. You know you can you could shovel uh, the walkway of an elderly neighbor, or volunteer to pick up uh, his or her uh, medicine at the at the supermarket. Uh, you run into somebody at this and again, if God opens the door where you somebody needs uh, some money for groceries. Maybe buy him some groceries. I know Christians hear about. Uh, uh, natural disaster or something that happened somewhere in our country in the world and they re- right away want to send money or they want to rush to the scene to help why? Because it's the love of God inside of us that is motivating us. Of course, that love has to first and foremost be demonstrated in among other Christians, right in the body of Christ, the family of God. Uh, John in his first epistle tells us that true Christian love loves other Christians. but not just verbally, loves them tangibly. Let me read to you, I think for the third time we've done this series, but 1 John 3, verses 16 to 18, where John says, By this we know love, God's love. Because he laid down his life for us, we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in that person? How can that person even claim to be saved? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Look, loving people as God commands with his love, his agape love, listen, is impossible for us. It goes beyond our natural ability. Again, it's not a love that I can manufacture or produce out of my own fallen heart. It's not in me or you to love like this, because agape love is a divine supernatural love that only flows from God, who is its source. Just like heat and light flow from the sun, which are their source, love flows from God, which is the source of all love. 1 John 4, 8, John didn't say God has a lot of love. God, He said God is love. God's attributes are intrinsic to his nature and to his nature alone. That means that unbelievers, what the Bible calls the natural man, cannot duplicate the attributes of God again from a fallen heart, which means that the natural man, unbelievers, can fake God's attributes. What are they? Well, we also call them the fruit of the Spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, and so on, right? Those are attributes of God. Unbelievers can't, they can't, they can fake, but they can't make those attributes. In fact, neither can we make them. So, how can we have them? The only way you can have an attribute that only flows from the nature or character of God is to have the nature of God living inside of you. Isn't that what the new birth is all about, 2 Peter 1 4? When you accepted Christ, you became a partaker of His divine nature. The Spirit of God moved in. Romans 5:5. when He moved in, He poured into you and I God's love. It's there. We don't have to use it. We can still be selfish and self-focused and everything else. But it's there if we want to use it. How do we use it? we got to die to self. When you begin to die to self, when I begin to die to self, all of a sudden, the nature of God rises up and the fruit of the Spirit begins to grow and fills us and then grows out into our lives or our actions and so on. But again, God's love is an all-encompassing and unconditional love that loves freely regardless of how it is loved in return. That's just the nature of God's love. God so loved the world that he gave his Son to die for every sinner on the planet. Does the whole planet love God? Do the people of this world appreciate our God? Do they sing his praises? Do they thank him from the bottom of their hearts because now they don't have to go to hell? No. But he knew that. And it didn't matter. Because he loved them in spite of what they were going to do in response. Reject him, hate him, so be it. God's love is is a giving love. It's a sacrificial love, which is different from human love, which is reciprocal. I love you because you love me. And conditional. But I only love you when you treat me right or give me what I want. Let me say it one more time. I'm making a point. God's love is not like human love. It's a supernatural love that is not inherent to our human nature. In other words, it's not of this earth, it is a fruit of his divine nature. And this, I believe, guys, was the lesson that Jesus was ultimately teaching Peter in John 21. Remember, Peter, the disciple who couldn't tell Jesus, he agape him, right? Look at verse 15. John 21, 15. I'm not going to reteach that whole thing. You can go online and and, uh, listen to the full teaching on this passage. But I want to make a point. So back in John 21, verse 15, we read now they've already, they were fishing all night, caught nothing. Jesus stands on the bluff overlooking the Sea of Galilee and uh, says, you know, I caught anything? No, cast your net on the other side of the boat. They did, and the boat began to sink. The net was so full of fish. They start, John says, it's the Lord. Peter jumps in the water and swims, and they're trying to pull this big catch of fish in. And so when they got to the shore, Jesus already had fish on the grill, we would say on the barbie, and uh, some bread, He already had breakfast cooked. After they ate, we read in verse 15, so when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? The Greek word for love that Jesus uses is, is agape, or agapao, the verb form of agape. Agape, of course, is a word that usually is used in the New Testament to speak of God's love, which is deep, fervent, unconditional, and sacrificial. That's God's love. So Jesus is asking Peter, let me paraphrase. Let me paraphrase what I think is really going on here. So Jesus is asking Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me with God's love? To which Peter responded, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. However, Peter responds with a different Greek word. He doesn't use agape as Jesus used it. He uses the Greek word phileo, which is a word that means is used for friendship love. A word that means a fondness or affection kind of love, or in other words, human love. Human love. So when Jesus asked Peter, Simon son of Jonah, do you love me with the love of God? Peter responded, Lord, you know that I'm fond of you. You know that I love you with my human love. The question is, why didn't Peter respond with the higher word for love, agape? I think he wanted to, as we've said a couple weeks ago. But how could he after knowing that just a short time earlier, he had denied even knowing the Lord three times? Yeah, remember? He denied even knowing the Lord three times. After he promised he would die first before he would ever deny him. Look at verse 16 16 and 17, because I want to just give you the full look at what's going on. So Jesus said to Peter a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Do you copy me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. I have feelings for you. I'm fond of you. He said to him, tend my sheep. Verse 17. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Again, using, uh, I'm sorry. He said the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him, excuse me, to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Guys, when Jesus said to Peter the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He used the Greek word phileo. In other words, Peter, are you fond of me? Do you have feelings for me? Here Jesus comes down to Peter's level. Because Peter wouldn't go up to his level. God always wants us to live at the highest level of our relationship with him. And that's always agape. Now you can go online and check out the message from a couple weeks ago and hear the whole teaching on this passage. But then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, you know all things. You know that I am fond of you. Let me tell you what I believe Peter was saying. Lord, I want to be able to say that I love you with the love of God. In other words, fervently, passionately, and sacrificially. But right now, the best I can do is love you with my human love, which is frail, faulty, and prone to failure. Now, at this point, Jesus responds to Peter, verse 18. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke signifying by what death he will glorify God. You see, guys, I think what Jesus was saying to Peter was, I know you want to tell me And show me that you love me with the love of God. But right now, you can't. However, Peter, the day is coming when you'll be able to both tell me and show me that you love me with God's divine agape love. When was that day? When Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and went to the cross and died for Jesus. You see, it was not until Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit that he was given the power, the dunamis, the dynamic power. Uh, Wait in Jerusalem, Acts 1, verse 8, for you shall receive power to be my witnesses in both Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, under the uttermost, uttermost parts of the world. It wasn't until Peter and the others were filled with the Holy Spirit that they had the power to say and to be what God wanted them to say and to be. And the same goes for us. Real quickly, I want you to see the transformation of of Peter before and after he was baptized with the Holy Spirit. Turn to Acts 4. Acts 4. Now, Acts 2 They were in the upper room waiting, as Jesus commanded them, for the Holy Spirit to be poured out, right? The day of Pentecost comes, the Spirit of God is poured out. Um, They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, little tongues of fire above each of their heads. and um, So now they are baptized with the Holy Spirit. Chapter 3, Peter and John are going into the temple about, what is it, I think three in the afternoon, for prayer. And Peter sees a guy that has been sitting there at the beautiful gate for years. He was crippled. And in those days, there weren't social welfare programs for the disadvantaged and disabled. You had to depend pretty much on the generosity of strangers. So this guy sat there, everyone knew him. They knew, many had probably given him a few coins here and there. And so Peter and John are walking up. Peter filled the Holy Spirit walking Into the temple, sees him sitting there, stares at him. The guy sees Peter staring at him, probably holds out his hand or a little cup, uh, thinking that Peter is going to give him something. Peter said, silver and gold I don't have. But what I do have I will give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. Immediately this guy stood up. He starts walking, then he starts jogging, and then I think he In a full blown race around the temple precincts. Now, not everybody was standing right there at the beautiful gate when Peter, the Holy Spirit used Peter to heal this guy. So, as this guy's doing laps around the temple area, people are freaking out. They know who this guy is. What's going on? You know, I don't know what the guy's name was. Tiberius, he's running. Look at this guy. And so they naturally followed him wherever he was going. He runs back and gives Peter a big bear hug and they were shocked and peter wants to and this is so good peter says look don't look at me as if i through some holiness on my part made this man well this man stands before you well because jesus christ gave me the faith and and used the power his power through me that this man would be made well and then peter because of course there was a big crowd now preach the gospel a lot of folks got saved it created quite a stir all of a sudden the you know the chief priests and said are rushing in they you know upset that Peter's preaching the resurrection of Christ arrest them put them in jail for the night acts 4 verse 5. And it came to pass on the next day that the rulers, their rulers, elders and scribes, as well as Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? This terrible thing, you heal the guy. Gee, talk about clueless. Verse eight. Then Peter, listen, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, "Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for the good deed done to this helpless man by what means we have he has been made well, let it be known to you, and to all, uh, and to all people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, poke poke, you crucified him." Whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands before you whole. This is the stone which, the, which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Now, folks, do I need to remind you that this is the same Peter that three months earlier, on the morning of Jesus' crucifixion, when Jesus was hauled into Caiaphas' house to stand trial in front of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish high council, Peter was so terrified he stayed in the courtyard and there he denied the Lord three times. And now, filled with the Holy Spirit, he goes right in and doesn't just lay a witness on him, he lays a heavy witness, even calling them out for crucifying their own Messiah. Wow. See, Jesus knew this day was coming. He knew it. He knew that Peter wanted to say, Lord, I agape you. I love you deeply, fervently, passionately, sacrificially. He knew he couldn't do that. But he wanted to comfort Peter. Peter, the day is coming when you're going to be able to tell me you agape me. I know it. But first you have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then the Spirit of God will lead you to a cross. And that's how you're going to prove that you love me. That you agapa'o me. And can I say this in closing? Until we take up the cross and die to self as believers, we cannot say that we agape Jesus. The best we can do is to tell him, well, Lord, I am fond of you. Oh, but I love Jesus, okay? Are you dying to self taking up your cross and following his example? Well, I'm gonna someday, but right now I'm busy building my career or my business or something else. Well, then maybe someday you'll be able to say, "I got by you to Jesus, but not right now. The best you're going to be able to do is say, Lord, I'm fond of you. Because until we take up that cross, as Peter learned, there's no way we can truly love the Lord to the depth he desires, the depth he loved us by going to the cross for us. Real quickly, because we've been trying to turn this also and point it towards human relationships, this whole teaching. And so I'm going to just talk to the guys. Because we represent Christ in our marriage, and Jesus came down and acted first so that his bride could be saved and be blessed. It starts with us. I believe that. I believe in marriage that guys have to go first. We have to demonstrate sacrificial love. I believe the, our wives are responders. They will respond to that message, even as we responded to Jesus' love. But it comes down to us first. A lot of guys, when she starts loving me like Christ loves the church, I'll start uh, loving her. Excuse me, when she starts loving me as she should, I'll start loving her as Christ loved the church. You got it backwards, my friend. It starts with you as the husband. You all know the passage, guys, when Paul talked about marriage in Ephesians 5. He said, Husbands, agape, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Gave himself for her. And again, some would say, well, you can't command a feeling. Okay, but we're not com- God's not commanding feelings. He's commanding actions. Love your wives with God's love, sacrificially. That's an action. I'll tell you this, if you love your wives, guys, if you love your wives with that sacrificial agape love, I believe she's going to respond. She's going to respond. And suddenly your marriage is kind of blossoming. It's going to start becoming deeper and, and, and more loving. Remember, Jesus didn't die for his bride because he felt like it. He died for us because we had a need. If he didn't die for us, we would spend eternity in hell. He put our need above his own feelings and sacrificed himself for us. Hebrews 12, 2. He despised the shame of the cross but he endured it for the joy that would follow being able to gather from humanity a bride. Someone he could love and cherish and take care of the rest of eternity. The cross was necessary for him to demonstrate the depth of his love. Guys, the cross is necessary. I don't know about you but I can be... Before I got saved... I was more selfish than I'd care to admit or even realized. It's amazing how God began to work in my life once I got saved. It didn't all happen at once. And I still got work to go. When I look back at how I was before I, I met Christ, even to my wife who I love, I'm ashamed at the depth of selfishness that gripped my heart that I justified because I was the only one that mattered. It's amazing how Jesus changes you. It's amazing how he transforms us. It's amazing how we could take a man like James who grew up hating Jews, anti-Semitic. He gets saved. God puts a love in his heart for the Jewish people, comes with us on our first trip to Israel. He didn't come home. He stayed there 25 years, loving Jewish people, working for free as a volunteer, working with the, with the most handicapped Jewish people. No, nobody else wanted to take care of these people. They were so much work. They couldn't eat on their own. They couldn't go to the bathroom on their own. They couldn't shower on their own. They were basically invalids. And James, he was there every single day working for free. We supported his ministry. Others supported his ministry, but he worked for free because he loved these people because Jesus Christ moved into his heart and filled him with the love of God. That's a transformation. And we need that in our own lives, starting as guys in our marriages. But ladies, I know that you know you're not perfect either. We love you. I think you'd be a little more perfect if we loved you like we should as guys we'll leave it there guys I'm just going to beat you up today but look next week we'll wrap up this series we may even wrap up the entire gospel of John I don't make any promises we might and, uh, but we'll come on back because I think you'll don't miss next week Father we thank you and praise you for your great love where with you loved us Lord we deserve nothing We were fallen, reprobate sinners, uh, doing our own thing, uh, hurting people to get what we want. Thank you, Lord, that you reached out to us. Thank you that you gave us the grace to respond to you. Thank you that when we opened our heart to you, you moved in and gave us your nature. And even though we're still a work in progress, all of us, we know that we're not all that we should be yet, but we know we're definitely not all that we once were. We thank you, Lord. Pray you continue the work you've begun, making us more and more like Jesus every day. And keep blessing these studies in your word. We ask all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.